good to be with you, New Life. Good, uh, I'm really encouraged to be able to preach the Word of God with you today. Get all situated here. How are we doing? Is that all right, Steve? Okay. I'll let you in on a little secret. <clears throat> Something happened to me two years ago when I came back as a pastor. I, I don't exactly even know what it is at all times, but came back and it seems that every time I preach, I get really nervous. I didn't get really all that nervous in the, in the 90s when I was here before. Um, but I get nervous. I get, I get my, this dry mouth comes over me frequently. Um, Let's test it. Yeah, see, my hands are shaking. Um, I don't really know what that's about. I, I think it's scar tissue left over from the 90s, you know, spiritual scar tissue. It seemed like in the 90s, every time I got up here, I was in trouble when I preached. Um, I, look at, I look at you, and you don't really seem all that intimidating to me as I look out upon you. you I'm just looking out and seeing the face of friends. and um, So I don't know what that is. I, I know it's something in me. I'll just... Let you know that. So if you if you see me going for glasses of water, you see me a lot doing that a lot. You should just pray for me. Um, uh, my one of my friends, like you, you probably know who this friend I talk about him all the time. But he's like, you should you should be thankful that you're totally nervous when you preach, because that means you're totally dependent on the Spirit. Um, I don't feel that way all the time, but um, so that's what's going on in my heart. We'll just we'll just trust that God will use me in my weakness. Here I go with my water. Um, but let's pray together. Maybe I just want to kind of get that out. I think it's important for us to share what's really going on in our hearts at any given moment. I don't know what's going on in your heart today. We had a, mighty, a really impressive service. Thank you, Karen, and the, and the group and the worship team. It's just fun to be in the presence of the Lord, and it's fun to hear what he has to say to us. So we're going to take a, heart, a, a moment just to kind of quiet our hearts. We want to pray that the Spirit comes over our time. So uh, bow your heads. Let's give our hearts to the Lord. thankful for the peace that comes over our hearts when we get into your presence. And I'm thankful, Lord, that I feel a little bit weak today. That whatever this nervousness is that is in my heart, I have no idea what it is. But you know and you know my heart. But I do thank you that I feel a sense of weakness because this sermon is going to impact people's lives and it's going to they're going to hear any your voice in it, it's not going to be because of my voice. It's going to be because of you. It's going to be because you choose to do something in this moment, and that's what I'm asking for. I'm asking that the Holy Spirit would just kind of take a hold of me as a speaker, as a preacher. I pray the Holy Spirit would take a hold of everybody's heart. That they may have ears to hear what you're going to say to them right now. So I just thank you for this moment of pause that you give us. Show us Jesus. Show us Jesus. Jesus, show us the love of the Father. Bring us right into the midst of your throne room that we may hear what you have to say to us today. pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thanks for allowing me to have that moment of... Well, that just broke. I, will. I can do that. So. All right, Lord, let's go. Don't you, don't you love the humor of God? Yes, I do. Today, we're going to talk about failure, specifically what it means to fail as being disciples of Christ. So what does it feel like to fail? <clears throat> doesn't feel all that great, does it? Think about the last time you failed at something in your life. Maybe a failure at your job. Maybe you failed in one of your relationships, not being a good parent, not being a good child. Maybe you weren't really all that great of a friend to somebody. The list of possible failures in our life, they're, they're just completely endless. God knows you fail. The Bible says, be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. God's standard is absolute perfection. And that is a standard that none of us can live up to outside of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only one who was ever, ever able to measure up to the perfect standard of God. So, God knows you fail. He knows you fail every single day at being perfect. He's not surprised by it. He's not tripped up by it. Instead, he has made a way for us to know joy right in the midst of our failures. We see this joy and we have power for living when we know that Jesus Christ is praying for us. So we're continuing in the book of Luke, chapter 22, and I'll be reading verses 31 through 38. Listen to the word of the Lord. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you have denied three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. Let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me, and he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here, we have two swords. And he said to him, it's enough. The word of the Lord. As I said, we're going to look at what it means to fail at being disciples of Jesus. To do this, we're going to look into the failures of Jesus' own disciples in our passage for today. I want to make three points. Uh, you have an outline on the back of your bulletin if you want to use it. Those points are there. Number one, Peter fails to see Satan. Peter fails to see Satan. 
Number two, the disciples fail to see the upcoming danger. And number three, the disciples fail to be battle ready. Peter fails to see Satan. Remember from last week's sermon that the disciples are now in the upper room having the Passover meal with Jesus. Uh, Dave Miller, Miller last week did a great job of showing how much passion Jesus had to be eating this Passover meal with his disciples. Jesus literally had double passion. The passage said, literally, with desire, I desire to eat this meal with you. Now, it's important for us to remember just how much passion Jesus has to be with us. And right in the midst of what should be a really intimate meal, these billy-headed disciples start arguing about who's the greatest. After rebuking them, Jesus turns to Simon Peter and he says, Simon, Simon, behold Satan. Simon, Simon, behold Satan, demanded to have you. Now there's several things I want you to notice about that statement. The first is that Jesus says Simon's name twice. It's common for Jesus to say things in pairs. He does it all the time. It's his way of saying, pay attention. What I am about to say to you is very important. Secondly, he says, behold, Satan. Really interesting. Jesus wants Peter to see Satan and what he is trying to do, which is namely take control of Peter's soul. And then finally, Jesus says you. Satan wants to have you. That word in the Greek is plural. So what Jesus is saying is, Simon, Satan has demanded to have all of you disciples. Satan knows that the disciples are utter failures at following Jesus. He's been watching and listening to them. No more than a couple minutes ago, he heard the arrogance and the sin of the disciples arguing over who is greatest. That's devil talk. The type of talk shows that they are giving themselves over to Satan and his kingdom. So Satan demands to have them. Satan knows that the disciples don't have any right in and of themselves to be with Jesus. They are guilty with the original sin of Adam. They belong to darkness. So Jesus commands Peter to see Satan. Jesus wants Peter to pay attention to the drama that is happening in the heavenly realm. Jesus is about to go to the cross. Pay attention, Peter. He says the same to us. Every single day of our lives, Jesus is saying, Behold, see, pay attention. I wish God would remove the veneer of our earthly existence and show us what is truly going on in the heavenly realms. If we could behold Satan, we would see that he and his demons are around us like lions waiting to pounce upon us. It would quickly add drama and perspective to our lives before the Lord. But we fail to see, just like Peter. And in classic Peter fashion, he ignores what Jesus is saying. And he begins to focus the tension and the conversation on himself, namely how courageous he is. Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison 
and to death. And Jesus responds, no, Peter. You simply don't know that by tomorrow morning you will fail me three times. It's so important for Peter and us through him to recognize that there is no hope in ourselves. We, too, are failures at following Jesus Christ. We need something outside of ourselves to save us. We need Jesus to pray for us. Notice in verse 32, Jesus says, But I have prayed for you. Simon, I have prayed for you. What does he pray? That Peter's faith may not fail. We are failures without the prayers of our Lord Jesus Christ. The only thing that prevents Peter from being devoured by Satan is the prayers of our Lord Jesus. And the glorious truth is, he prays for us too. Saints, stop focusing on what you do or don't do for Jesus. Each day, when you wake up, just remember Jesus is praying for you. That your faith may not fail this day. The power is in Jesus and his prayers for you. Next, let's just take a a brief moment to look at how the disciples fail to see the upcoming danger that is all around us. Jesus, he reminds them of the time when he sent them out two by two to preach the coming of his kingdom. And during that time, he commanded them, he said, don't take any food, don't take any money, no extra clothes, not even a staff. God will supply all your needs. And he did. They lacked absolutely nothing. In contrast, Jesus says now, they will need all the supplies they can muster. A money bag for sure, a knapsack to keep their goods, and yes, a sword for protection. By mentioning a sword, Jesus is clearly pointing out the danger which will soon be upon them. In a few hours, Jesus will be arrested, he'll be put on trial, and he will be crucified as a criminal. He will fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah 53 that's quoted in this passage saying, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Jesus lived his life in fulfillment of everything written in the Old Testament. Another way of saying that is Jesus embodies the scriptures. His life is the scriptures, literally. The book of John says it well, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word of God made flesh. Hallelujah. Now, Jesus will live out the reality of the cross. These will be dangerous times for the disciples because now they will be associated with Jesus. And because of that association, they will too be considered criminals. Before, when Jesus sent them out, they were wildly successful. Even the demons obeyed them. But in the words of Earl Ellis in his commentary on Luke, the time... Of easy victory is past. Discipleship will now exact a cost. Namely, conflict with the world and suffering 
with Jesus Christ. I like the way the version of the Bible called the message puts verses 36 and 37. It says, Jesus said, this is different. Get ready for trouble. Look to what you'll need. There are difficult times ahead. Pawn your coat and get a sword. What was written in scripture, he was lumped in with criminals, gets its final meaning in me. Everything about me is now coming to a conclusion. Do you hear the warning for your own life? These are dangerous times for the disciples of Christ. We as Americans, we always want to believe this idea that our life should be comfortable. And I want to ask, where do we get that from? Jesus never said it. Jesus said, the world's going to hate you because it hated me first. Jesus said, if anyone would come to me, he must deny himself. He must take up the cross and follow me. Follow Jesus right into the heart of danger. Right into the heart of suffering. No wonder we have to muster up all the supplies we can get. Now, we all know that Peter will fail. We know the story. He won't even make it past the scrutiny of a little girl. Now we see the failure of all the disciples in their utter inability to see and understand the upcoming danger that is in front of them. Their response is laughable. Lord, look, we have two swords. The response shows yet another one of their disciple, the disciples' failures, their failure to be battle-ready, my the third and final point. We can tell from their response that they thought Jesus was talking about a literal, physical battle. But Jesus is talking about Satan and the battle that is occurring in the spiritual realm. The Apostle Paul says it correctly in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, 12. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Physical swords will have no use. First of all, the battle is only between Jesus, him winning on the cross, him going head-to-head against Satan for the possession of our souls. Can you see the drama As disciples of Christ, the army of God must use weapons of the Spirit. Paul goes on in chapter 6 of Ephesians to say, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind. Be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. The disciples, in contrast to all of this, tell Jesus, They have two swords to fight the battle. And you can hear Jesus' frustration. He says to them, it's enough. Meaning, enough of this literal talk about literal swords. You're just, you're missing it. How often do we miss it? Lord Jesus, give us eyes to see. And at this point in the story, Jesus takes the disciples away from the upper room, away from the Passover meal, And they will be traveling to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus will be until the moment he is arrested 
by the temple guards. And what is the first thing that Jesus tells his disciples to do once they get to the Garden of Gethsemane? Pray. Pray that you will not enter into temptation. And they will fail yet again by not by falling asleep not once, but twice. In the disciples, especially Peter, we see the complete and utter failure of following Jesus Christ. They fail at almost every single level. And in their failure, we see our own. Like them, we are often not battle-ready. We can't see the real danger around us. We cannot see Satan. In the midst of our failures is Jesus Christ, the suffering servant of God, praying for us. Earlier, we quoted Isaiah 53, where Jesus was numbered among the transgressors or criminals. In the book of Isaiah, there's this figure called the suffering servant or the servant of the Lord. And in that book, there are four songs of the servant, Isaiah 42, 49, chapter 50, and chapters 52 through 53. This servant is the long-awaited Messiah, the man we know as Jesus, our Savior. We don't have time to read them, but I would encourage you to go back and look at those Bible passages this week. For now, I just want to read the rest of the verse that was quoted in our passage today. Isaiah 53, verse 12. Therefore, I will give him, meaning Jesus, our Messiah, a portion among the great. And he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered transgressors, for he bore the sin of many, here it is, and made intercession, prayer for the transgressors. You will notice that Isaiah is using the battle language of dividing up the spoils. The servant of the Lord is a warrior, a champion for battle. Unlike the disciples and us, he is always battle ready. He claimed the victory as our champion. How? by being the suffering servant. He poured out his life unto death. He was numbered as a criminal. He bore our sins, and as our great high priest, he prayed that our faith might not fail. In our failures at being disciples of Christ, our hope and power rests always, always in the Jesus, what he does in his prayers. My hope and prayer for all of us today, is that God will give us eyes to see the spiritual battle that's raging all around us each and every day. <clears throat> so, in an effort to help, I would like to show you a scene from The Lord of the Rings. It's that epic scene where Gandalf goes up against the Balrog. You all know it. I think John has already showed it. Um, I, we put a notice in the weekly email. We know there are children here. The Balrog, he's a, he's a Satan figure, scary. If you feel like your children have never seen this or they're, they might be scared, now would be the time to take them out. Um, but if you do take them out, we're having the Lord's Supper. It'll t the clip is about three minutes long, so we're going to show it, and then you can just come back from the Lord's Supper. So just look around. Lead them on, Aragorn. The 
bridge is near. Do as I say! Swords are no more use here. dramatic, huh? He said, fly, you fools. Fly, you fools. Fly, you fools. That's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Flee. We have two swords. Flee, you fools. Now, if, G- if God ripped away the veneer of our earthly existence and we saw the heavenly realms and we saw that happening to us, Today, Satan trying to devour us. Do you think your life would be changed a little bit? Do you think your prayers would be changed a little bit? It's a great scene. Gandalf is clearly the Christ figure in this battle. And do you notice what Gandalf says to Aragorn in the beginning of the clip? Sound wasn't real good. He said, swords will have no use here. That's what Jesus is saying. Gandalf goes head to head with the Balrog. Satan figure with the power of his magic, what we Christians call the power of the spirit. In the end, as Gandalf falls into the pit, right after he says that, he 
grabs the sword infused with the magic to wage battle against the enemy of the Fellowship of the Ring. Amazing. Great. But no matter how great it is, it pales in comparison to the real-life drama that surrounds the disciples of Christ every single day. Why, why do kids, young adults, adults, why do we like video games so much? Because it puts us into the drama. I'm not against video games, but they're a pale comparison to the video game, to the drama that is all around us, even as, even as we are here today. You have eyes to see what is going on. No matter how great these things all are, no matter what we turn to, they all pale in comparison to what is happening in the heavenly realms. They all, no matter how great the hero is, they all compare, pale in comparison to Jesus Christ, our great redeemer, our great warrior, our great champion of the faith. In this drama, in this battle, he is the champion who saves us through his prayers through his death and his powerful resurrection. May God give us eyes today to see that drama. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we do want to see that drama. We know you're engaged in it right now. And when we think of the cross and the warfare that was going on between you and Satan, the enemy of our souls, we just shake in wonder, amazement. We, we just give you the glory. There is nothing like it. But what is it about us, Lord? Help us, help me, that we want to turn to things like video games and movies and relationships and all the things that are okay in and of themselves, but don't, we don't see the drama of this Christian life that we're living. Help us, give us eyes, give us eyes to see the drama. Because once we see it, and once we see you as our champion, Lord, we're right there with you. Thank you so much that you're praying for us, that our faith may not fail. We, are, we know, just like these disciples, we are utter failures in anything that we try to do for you. Our best efforts are nothing. But your best efforts are everything. They're perfect. And then you give them to us. You give us this power to live a joyful life, to no longer be in brokenness, to no, no longer be in our sin, to no longer be under the chains of our enemy. Glory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You are glorious today in battle for us in prayer. Holy Spirit, we know that you're praying for us with groans that are too deep for even us. And now as we head to the Lord's table, give us eyes to see what is going on. Please, Lord Jesus, give us eyes to see that double passion with desire. You desire to have this meal with us. You are right here. Give us eyes to see. We pray in Jesus' name.